1: Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Hi,
0: I'm Paulo Ferreira, and you are listening to The London News (laughs) Book. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to the London is Blue podcast, a podcast made for the fans, by the fans, celebrating the only team that matters. Come on, you blues. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London is Blue podcast presented by WorldSoccerShop.com. Head on over to WorldSoccerShop.com for the best Chelsea gear around. And Nick, not only the best Chelsea gear, the stuff we picked out for them.
1: Right. Our, our holiday gift guide is live, so we are um, just more than thrilled about that. It's fantastic. Interactive experience. Dan Dormer wrote all of the uh, product descriptions and things. So if you are, like me, a person who procrastinates their holiday shopping, uh, we would encourage you to go to our uh, – to the link in this uh, in this episode, and we will we'll send you right there. You can pick out all of the best stuff. So uh, head on over, and uh, we'll help you out. All right. Well, unfortunately,
0: Chelsea fans, while while Chelsea the team have hit the streak of eleven wins, I'm saddened to say that our podcast streak of having myself, Dan, and Nick together has finally ended. Dan isn't on the pod today, but have no fear, he will be back. All is not lost. So Nick, it's just you and I today, hanging out.
1: Yep, nobody else that we probably need to fill anyone in on, right, Brandon? Oh, okay. Well, it's just you and I
0: from the States. But, you know, without Dan, we figured we had to fill that gap and provide even more insight into all things Chelsea. So we got Gary Hayes, the Chelsea correspondent from Bleacher Report. Welcome, Gary. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on. No, we are thrilled that uh, we're able to connect with you. And obviously, we've been talking on Twitter for quite a while, but – uh, if you would mind just uh, fill in our listeners, um, how did you kind of start writing about football and then get into covering Chelsea specifically?
2: Well, by accident, really, just because um, <laughs> like, like a, another few million kids before me, I had visions on being a professional footballer and then I realised I wasn't good enough, so I thought I better back my ideas up at school. And uh, just, just <laughs> went from there, really, and just um, just fascinated with, with the world of sport and you know, foot, football in particular. And, um, yeah, just just wanted to feed my passion into into my work. And, you know, when I did my degree and then came out of it needing a job and just um, got a job at Chelsea, working on their, their match day programme and magazine. And it went from there, really. So um, I've worked on a few papers before, you know, just um, doing uh, some casual work and that. But I never really enjoyed that side of it. And um, I decided that, you know, I'm a journalist as such, but I'm not a, a news journalist and more features and I talk about football rather than the, the gossip around it and and what have you. And um, yeah, just sort of found my niche completely by accident and um, just running with it really. And uh, yeah, just cover Chelsea based on my contacts and, you know, my reputation around the club, I guess. And um, yeah, just, just the way it's going with the internet coverage of the club and all the rest of it just seems to to slot in perfectly so um yeah it, it wasn't by design at least but um i'm trying to make it work
1: well you you definitely are making it work i guess a, a follow-up question that we have for you is you know different from the print side you know we've had guests on from the papers dan levine simon johnson all those guys different from the the print side how is the digital side kind of helping to lead the way for for some of the hard-hitting news that's coming out of the club
2: yeah because i think that um you know, we were chatting before we came on air about, um, you know Nas from Gold and, and Liam Toomey from ESPN. Is I think th- there's always the room for the, the breaking news and and you know the, the core of what the traditional platforms of journalism are that that sit within the you know the newspapers. But I think it's almost like we're in, we're an extension of that, but it allows us to you know talk about different aspects that aren't necessarily you know they, they've got column inches to fill and those column inches dictate certain content, whereas we we've got a you know a free reign to you know to cover what we do so what i tend to do is after you know matches and, and everything else i look to extend the conversation beyond the the instant news lines so um if you you know if people follow me and, and read my work they'll see that i'm looking at perhaps these you know this, the significance of a result or a week in football you know particularly that you know chelsea played three games in a week and they've won them all one nil you know how, how does that impact where chelsea are going this season and you know, how's, how's Conte settling in? So, you know, I'll, I'll look at a different angle of, of what the news is. So it's all topical still, obviously, but um, it's just maybe being expressed in a different way and looking at it from a different perspective as to what people are accessing through their newspapers.
0: Absolutely, you know, us being digital content producers as well, um, you know, we, we love that as well. And we love just the medium is so flexible, you know, the, the different types of content, you know, gifs GIFs, you know embedding tweets you know the graphics and and all that it's just uh it's a much it's a very rich experience so it's uh it's nice to kind of have that flexibility so um uh, we know that you have written a book about one captain leader legends um do you would you like to to talk about that real quick and kind of what that was like as a process
2: yeah so i'll, I'll just quickly do it If you pe- people are probably tired of hearing me talk about it now because i'm always <laughs> tweeting on- or talking about it, but it's just, um, it's a look at, a publisher approached me after the um, the MK Dons game when John Terry announced that he was going to be um, leaving Chelsea or at least expected to. That was in the fourth round of the FA Cup in January. And they approached me and said that, you know, we do a series of books called 50 Defining Matches. Uh, would you be interested in doing this one on JT? And I looked at it and I just thought, well, yeah, I think there's a story there, obviously. It's John Terry, but um, I didn't want to do it. It's just a, a straight, you know, these books they do are just straight match reports a lot of them and um i don't want it to be that i wanted to you know give some value to it and come at it from a different angle so um the way i've done it is it's, it's a book about john terry and, the, and these 50 matches but i've just used 50 matches in a way to outline where he sits in the last 20 years of chelsea's history and how significant he's been so the games will be there but it's almost like the game is the backdrop to to show the significance of where he was in his career at this moment. And you know, how he's obviously as the narrative flows, how he got from game one through to game 50. So um, it starts off when he goes on loan to Nottingham forest talks about, you know, obviously how he got a bit of hair on his chest, so to speak, and then finishes (laughs) right up with the game against Sunderland when we thought it was going to be his last game in a Chelsea shirt. That's
1: amazing. Yeah, that's incredible. I think the thing that we're going to do for our fans is we're going to, we're going to buy a copy of that book and we are going to do a giveaway. So, Um, For those listening, tweet at us, tweet at Gary, uh, kind of with your your best summation of the book, and uh, we will uh, pick a a lucky winner to to give a copy away to. Oh. Yeah, absolutely.
0: All right. Well, you know, I think that uh, what we can do from here is just jump right on to the Crystal Palace match review time, guys. You know, this is the meat and the potatoes of the show, uh, what we love going through. So in case you guys missed it, Premier League action selhurst park we had to travel to the south of london this past saturday nick another twelve thirty p.m local time kickoff that's almost three in a row for us
1: yeah my my early mornings on saturdays are they're, they're cutting down my drinking time on fridays brandon it's kind of annoying
0: 6 a.m <laughs> six thirty, six a.m kickoffs they uh you know, they tend to add up for us over here, Gary, but, you know, for us, it just it comes back to being, you know, the the dedicated fans from abroad all over the world that we're just so in- attracted to what Chelsea, you know, as a club are doing. And obviously the amazing form we're at uh, right now. Um, but, you know, what's a midday kickoff different for you guys, especially having to get to the stadium to cover it? I saw you didn't even get to eat the food that was hardly edible
2: that Nazar Kinsella told you about. <laughs> oh, you go to the palace, you don't touch their food. Oh, uh, no. Yeah, it, it's not good. And um, I think my waistline's thanking me this morning, though. But um, <laughs> uh, but it, it, it's, it is a little bit frustrating because um, you, you used to... You know the games in the afternoon, and, and games are better anyway. They seem to be that the players are, are more up for it because they're so thrown out of sync. You know, pl- players are creatures of habit, and you know they like playing games. And you know they'll, they'll get up at a certain time, they'll eat at a certain time, and they just get that routine and they they live that from you know um, a, you know day to day. And so when you turn up to these early games, that does have an impact because. They have to change the way that you know their sleeping pattern ahead of the game mm-hmm. when they're having breakfast and what their pre match meal is. And I think that you look at Chelsea West Brom and you know Chelsea Palace certainly and you can see the difference in performance. I know obviously, you know, teams set up in a different way and they, they play so defensive against Chelsea, but I think you can still see they didn't really quite have that zip about them. Um so it impacts it from that perspective. So it's not as so much of a spectacle, but then you know, as well, if I'm, if I'm getting selfish, talking about being a you know, professional, I don't be having to get up at seven in the morning on a Saturday to, <laughs> to get to a stadium. And also yesterday, there was a train strike as well. Um, so that that made it even, even tougher to get down to Crystal Palace. So, um, yeah, ov- overall, there's a bit of a, a pain, but I guess, you know, you're you going and covering the game and, you know, you're you living a privileged life in that sense. So you can't complain too much.
0: No, I think we understand there's definitely a noticeable drop off in in the quality, but you know, we've had this discussion in, in in America about the NFL Nick having Thursday night games, players not having enough time to recover, but it's all about the TV money, that ad revenue.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, that that early morning slot, the more slots you can kind of fit uh, those key matches into for the TV providers is is kind of where they're looking at this thing, but I know for a fact with my tweeting uh, capabilities that I'm much better with uh, an 11.30 a.m. kickoff uh, local time over here than I am (laughs) with a 6.30. (laughs) Uh, I was tweeting lots of like barely one-sentence tweets, and it was mainly just due to pure exhaustion that comes from waking up after a night of um, uh, libations, I would say, Brandon. (laughs) Yes. Um,
0: So the match was Blues 1, Eagles 0. Starting lineup, I'll step in for Dan. Uh, you know, to Luis Cahill in the back line, Moses Conte, Modic back in, Alonzo in the middle, uh, Willian in for Pedro, Costa and Hazard, obviously Courtois in goal. Um, you know, Conte did mention after the match that Fabregas had just played a lot of minutes coming after injury. So they didn't want to keep playing him. Uh, this is also, you know, we, he did get 30 minutes essentially later in the match, but if we roll right into the lineup wise, um, I mean, gary any kind of surprises it seems like it's, it's a big talking point for chelsea right now is where is he going to fit in players like fabregas or you know i guess there's no changes to the back line but william coming in for pedro what's that like for you guys you know when you get that team sheet is that the, the biggest thing you're excited for before the match
2: yeah i think it always is because you know regardless of whether it is you know this uh this new formation that chelsea have been playing has thought about this this run of form that you know, the personnel plays such a big part in it. So, um, you know, it's, it's always a talking point, especially when you've got players that, you know, Fabregas' uh, profile that aren't getting in. But I think just just looking at Cesc, I think you see that the way he's played in the last few matches that I think gradually he's he's earning the trust of, Can, uh, of Conte. And um, I think gradually he's going to... Uh, phase out match maybe in terms of being the first choice I think he, he's played it safe by having two combative style players in there but I think when you see SES come on and even when he starts matches like you saw against Sunderland, the, the dynamic of this team is, is is different not that not that it's been bad obviously you know a team that goes on on a, a run of 11 wins in a row without sesking it for for much of that you know he's doing something right but i think as this team evolves i think you'll see i think you'll see fabregas you know emerging as a as a leader in it again because the player of his ability and you know a player of his experience as well he, he can't be left on the bench you know where I sat yesterday, um, I was on the the corner flag of the um, you know uh, behind the, the Chelsea dugout and it, when Sess came on, some of the passes he was making out to Hazard, you because know, they were attacking the end where I was. I was fortunate to be in the trajectory of the ball and you could just see the the spin and the bend on the ball and it was so accurate, it was just you know a real privilege to see it. And that's that's what Fabregas is all about. He's he's an incredible player and, and when he plays in this team, the dynamic is is just so much different.
1: Well, it starts the, I mean, it, with the counterattacking style that they've kind of employed over the last, I would say, like six or so matches, Gary. If you have a guy with his range and passing ability, it makes that counterattack even more dangerous because uh, I agree with you. I think that, you know, Matej is an incredibly safe pick and there will always have to be rotation in that midfield with as much as they all run. But you saw Suss come on and kind of just open up the entire field with his range of passing, whereas we were kind of doomed to right or left flank most of the first half. So I think there's some legitimacy there with his performance. You always just kind of worry about the defensive side because N'Golo Conte is only one man, you know, even though he plays like four, he's only yeah. one.
2: But what, what one thing I'd say about Cesc is that he's a complete class act as a player. And when, when there's a player that is that talented, you know, you, you do need to... To find the way for them to play in your team, and and but that's what's so wise and intelligent about what Conte's done is that he's done it on the training pitch, and now he's starting to implement it in in a system in in a, in game, you know, in in game time, where rather than trying to change it mid season or you know at least after those first six games where where Chelsea had struggled, that it now he's it, worked, he's it, drilled those players so much that Fabregas is coming in, and he's looking strong in a position that really you know. I hold my hands up. I thought, he was, I thought he was gone at Chelsea. I just thought that there was no way back for him in, in the way that Chelsea were playing. But, you know, they, they've, they've worked so hard in the training ground. They've got their system set up. And, you know, you'd you see it now that he seems to be a natural in that position. And, you know, you, if you go back to, you know, counter-attacking or just, just hitting teams quick, Manchester City was the turning point, really. That that pass to Diego Costa, you know, without sesking that team, there's every chance Chelsea lose that game because they don't get that, they don't get themselves back in it with... You know a pass that completely took out the entire manchester city team you know you guys know more so than me what a quarterback can do and 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 that's what he's doing for chelsea yeah that has been the
0: comparison for him you know obviously he did his his tackling it's still it's getting better but i just remember him putting in that tackle on scott dan right at the end of the match free kick at the top of the box and with a one nothing lead that's the scariest thing to Mm -hmm. see in the last 10 minutes but um clearly some market improvement from Sesc. Uh the goal, the one and only goal yet again this week. Diego Costa, 43rd minute. You know, Ospy found time about 30-35 yards from goal on the right side and just kind of blew, lofted one in the box. And um, you know, Costa just went up between the two Crystal Palace defenders, netted his 50th goal, Nick, and not only 50th. Um, but we had a post in our Facebook group from Stephen Clark comparing how quickly Didier Drogba got to fifty, uh, or I guess a hundred league goals versus Diego Costa to fifty. And um, Bleacher Report also thankfully tweeted this out. It took ninety-seven games for Costa to get to fifty, and it took Drogba one hundred and twelve. Nick.
1: Yeah, there. I mean, that is incredibly special when you, especially when you kind of think of how. Yeah, I, I don't know. I remember that, that Chelsea team in oh five oh six is just blitzkrieging people and and being so strong, <laughs> and so and so focused. You know, it's just you you would have thought that it would have been you know fifty and fifty for Drogba with that kind of mentality they had going on. But especially with how up and down Costa's been in the last you know couple of seasons, uh, it's incredible the production and especially this year the work rate. I mean, he is truly the leader of uh, kind of the the. The core of the spine of his team and you see him leading by example you see him firing people up and uh to beat drogba's record gary by what is this 15, 15 games yeah
2: see, just just to you know to, to talk about people that read my stuff again or you know maybe follow me on social media i've been pilloried for for saying that cost is a better player than drogba and i think people allow their the views of the legend to, to overshadow the views of the player because I'm not taking anything away from Drogba for a second. He was absolutely incredible for Chelsea, but I think you look at where Diego Costa is in, in, in the same stage of his career. It's, it's really interesting because their careers parallel each other. That you know, Costa joined Chelsea at the same age as what Costa uh, as what Drogba did. You know, um, th- they both been, right, is yeah, th- th- uh, th- they're 25. Both from 25, and and th- they arrived as as unfancied players in a sense where they didn't come through. You know the the shiny academy at Paris Saint Germain or Bayern Munich or Chelsea or Manchester City. You know these are guys that had to go round the houses to make their name. You know Costa was at Atletico Madrid. He had to go out on loan and really really work hard in order to get his break there. You know Drogba was going around from club to club in France before he you know he was at uh uh Guignamp, I think I forget how pronounce the name in France before he got his move to um to Marseille and then you know from when he was at Marseille he really made it count in the same way that um. Costa did with, with Atletico, and then they, they come to Chelsea, and and they're at a similar stage of their career. But Costa just hit the ground running, and you know we we can talk about last season. And you know, had Chelsea not struggled the way they did, you'd be looking at that that record. He'd probably hit hit fifty goals in you know 20-25 games quicker than Drogba, rather than fifteen. And it's just it's just such an impressive player, and I think. As an all-round striker, he's a better player than what Drogba was at this stage, and I think if he continues to mature and has the longevity at Chelsea, that in a few years' time we'll be talking about you know Costa as being Chelsea's greatest ever striker. Wow, well, that's hot yeah. fire! Yeah,
0: we need to definitely look at just how well he's doing and not get you know too blinded by the comparisons and just accept the the fantastic. Uh, footballer that we have at the moment. Um, kind of another interesting comparison is that this was Chelsea's first headed goal of the season. So, like Dan always complains that you know Aguero takes penalties. The difference is Costa is doing this with all parts of his body except his head. I mean, the guy's just pure class finishing with both feet right now, and it's uh it is fantastic to watch.
1: I, w- I would say uh, I would give a special note to the to the pass from Dave. Uh, I you know it. In the system that we're playing, um, I think it's kind of rare for Dave to get that far upfield because he, you know, kind of has to rotate back and you know switch with the uh, with Victor Moses on the wing if, if Vic's going to stay back. So I think special note to to Dave for getting that far forward and then putting in just a nicely weighted ball that Diego could go up and rise like a salmon. <laughs> like uh, I think Bleacher Report might have tweeted that out as well that uh, you know he kind of just with his head and shoulders above uh, both defenders and, uh, you know, put, you know, just a nice cushioned header, you know, away from uh, from Hennessy that, you know, no one could touch. So I think it was just a fantastically executed goal all the way around.
2: Could I just yeah, add can... about the, uh, the jump header. in? Is it, uh, there's been a lot made of it. That's that's Chelsea's first headed goal, but I'd rather look at it from a, because, you know, people are saying, oh, maybe that's a weakness across this game. But I think it's actually a strength of this Chelsea team that, you know, especially in English football, where a lot, of, a lot of the game is about aerial ability and getting the ball out wide and getting the ball into box, you know, into the box to ask questions of goalkeepers and defenders. The fact that Chelsea aren't scoring goals with their head, but they've still scored so many this season, it just shows the type of football that they're playing. This is a team that can break teams down in any way that they, you know, at the moment at least, that they're able to break teams down you know, any way they choose, you know, and you look at the fact that, you know, Costa's got um, 13 goals this season now and only one of them's a header. For a striker in English football, that's rare, now for, especially for a striker of his ability in terms of, you know, his physicality and the way that he bosses defenders, you know. You look at it and it, it just speaks volumes for, you know, the, the type of football that Conte's got them playing that we can talk about them being a counter-attacking team, but there's so much more to to the way they play football and, know they scored 35 goals in in 17 games that's just an average of over two goals a game and for only one of them to be ahead is just incredible
0: yeah you know i just looked it up real quick chelsea have only the 10th most crosses in the Premier league so far this season um and, and that just kind of shows you like you said but yet we've got the third most goals behind liverpool and arsenal
1: that's kind um, of – that's an interesting stat with how with how far forward our wingers have been recently, though, that we're not crossing the ball that much.
0: Well, I think we've also seen the wingers playing a lot more centrally and just running off of Costa. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Catching teams on the break, you know, hit Diego's feet, turns and he finds Hazard William Pedro just flying down the middle, um, slotting him in.
2: But, but that, that's, that's the point is that, you know, Chelsea play uh, – you know, everyone makes a big deal of Tiki Taka, and you know it worked to extreme levels with Barcelona. But Chelsea have almost got their own. I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to say their own version of Tiki Taka because that's extending it a bit too far. But Chelsea have got their own style of play mm-hmm. that's direct and effective, and it means. But it that they use the wingers, but they they come inside so much, and by having Eden Hazard playing the way that he's playing, that Chelsea aren't getting those balls in the box because he's in central areas where he's having these combinations with Costa and you know, Pedro and obviously yesterday, William, but they're just so effective at playing for the middle and that there's not many teams that can do that.
0: All right. Well, I think, you know, the big, big headline outside of, you know, Costa hitting 50 goals and, you know, another clean sheet and just skimming by um, there was, a- this was an actual discussion on NBC <laughs> sports over here in the U S whether or not Diego Costa had planned all along of getting a yellow card in this match to make sure he'd be available uh, or at least Bournemouth was an easier game, so he'd be back for Stoke, and then obviously Spurs. Uh, Nick, do you agree with this? I mean, he seemed to be pretty upset. He got that card.
1: I, I the way he put it, his foot in late, and you know where the ball was when you look at the replay. I I have zero doubt that it was kind of a premeditated thing. Um, wow! It doesn't, it doesn't mean that it's bad. Like I'm not mad at him for it. I just thought like he didn't really get his money's worth for that yellow card. <laughs> like I think we can all say that he's he's had much more uh, ferocious tackles in his day than just kind of the late leg in. Uh, so you know whatever it that doesn't really upset me that much. Obviously we, you would have loved to see him kind of extend that run without a yellow through New Year's because Gary I believe it resets on on January one. Which the exact which what the point I was going to
2: raise with you is that the fact that that deadline or that date at least it is looming so much that I can't believe that. Costa would go out intentionally to get books because there's only two more games to go. And, you know, had it been five or six games, then you could think, okay, maybe they're going to take a hit now because they, they can't guarantee that it's going to, you know, not impact them later on. But I just think you see the nature of the foul, you know, it wasn't anything malicious. He was trying to win the ball. And I think for him to, to get a deliberate booking, if it was coming in the 80th minute, you could maybe say, okay, he's done that deliberately. You know, it, it's late on in the game, Chelsea are winning. Not only is he slowing the game down, he's taking a booking now. He got booked in the 22nd minute. So he was running the gauntlet for the rest of the game there. So I, I find it difficult to think that he was he was doing it deliberately.
0: It's interesting. I mean, is this like a tactic that, you know, if you kind of look at it, so you're born with Stoke. Stoke could obviously be a physical and testing match. Uh, you know, Costa doesn't have the greatest relationship with Stoke's centre-backs. Um, you know, Shawcross getting stuck in, even though he's been a little bit injured. But maybe they're just looking ahead to spurs or i don't know it just seemed weird and just the fact that they were covering it to me um i don't know I, I, it, what it, it, it seems soft.
2: because it's, it's because it's it's diego costa it's a story and you know sometimes you, you, you can make a headline out of something that isn't really there and because it's costa and he, he sort of feeds that uh you know he's chalk and cheese isn't he you, you either love him yeah. or hate him and and because it's Costa, people are going to pay attention to it. And, you know, are we talking about Kante deliberately getting booked in order to to miss the Bournemouth game or not? Kante
1: you know, definitely earned his yesterday. <laughs>
2: yeah, but you know, and I think it's the case of, you know, Costa trying to win the ball back on the halfway line having lost possession. Sure. And it was just a typical, you know, clumsy tackle from a striker. That you know, But had he done it in the 90th minute or really late on in the game, then I think there'd be a strong case for it. But... I think if you look at it, for him to get booked on the twenty-second minute, that that's that's seventeen minutes of football. He's still got to go about getting sent
1: off. Well, I agree with you, and I'm I'm not, you know, again, I don't think there was anything malicious to it. But if you look at where the ball was when he when he went in, it was just kind of like a, eh, you know, there there wasn't anything bad about it. It just wasn't even close. Like he wasn't going to win the ball. There was no way he was. Without like going through the player like he did, and the way he went through the player, he just barely clipped his foot. So, you know, just it looked way worse than it was. But at that time, I you know I didn't really think the the referee had any choice but to but to book him. Although the referee was terrible yesterday, from you know from what we saw.
0: Well, Crystal Palace had definitely been all around John Moss every time we fouled because they picked up the first yellow card, and I was surprised Conte didn't get a yellow card earlier
2: when he did drag. Uh, I believe it was right. Uh, it was, I think it was Joe Ledley. Yeah, you know,
0: yeah, on yeah. The yeah. Break
2: and he pulled him back, yeah, because then the, the the game went on for a few minutes and then it went out for a throw-in and, um, yep. and John Moss called him back and just had a chat with him and uh, yep. there there were a few words exchanged from Palace players to him. But, yeah, I, I, I saw that and the, the instant reaction was he's getting booked and I was surprised that he wasn't. And But then it, it was interesting because then a few minutes after that was when Costa made that foul and um it was something that I, I saw just from my seat after you know the um when costa got booked you could see how disappointed he was because the ball went out for a corner you know a couple of seconds later and um even then he was speaking to the referee about it and he was holding up his index fingers you know saying one one meaning i've made one foul all day and you're booking me and, and I, I think, think a lot of be.
0: that a lot of that was the pressure from the crystal palace on that conte no card thing but you know guys conte did end up getting his fifth caution and will also be suspended so who's a bigger loss obviously these are probably two of the three players in our spine david louise being the third um nick i mean where do you stand on on this if you had to you know who's the bigger loss
1: uh i think i think Costa's the bigger loss but only slightly i you know the the work rate and the the amount that Engolo Kante does on the field without getting noticed, I think, is tremendous. People, you know, even though we've been waxing poetic about him all year, I, I still think there's, you know, amazing room for him to grow into this. And you saw him, you know, at times getting, um, you know, a little bit further forward yesterday, um, but still just chasing the entire game and, and making the midfield a really hard place to operate for Crystal Palace was incredible. Uh, Costa would be my pick. What about you, Gary?
2: Yeah, Costa easily. I think that it's you know you, you look at the games that Chelsea got over Christmas and if you're going to get players suspended, you'd prefer it to be against Bournemouth not because Bournemouth are a poor team, but you look at Diego Costa and N'Golo and Kanté, you, you'd think that you'd want their physicality and that presence in the Stoke game because that's where games you know Stoke are so often a barometer for for title contenders and you know in successful title bids or not you know just us arsenal who who go to um the bet365 stadium and, and you know their seasons when their title campaign collapsed on the back of a defeat against stoke or at least that you know a draw or a bad performance and i think that's the one game where where chelsea need their their best team out because stoke test teams so much not necessarily football wise but just physically and if you can't match that physical battle that, you know, you, you you will drop points against them because so much of their game is about that central midfield area and really imposing themselves. So you want Kante back for that. And, you know, that's the one game where you look at it and you think that Matic and Kante have got to play that because it's not necessarily one, this, this ideal for Cesc. But also you want, you know, um, Costa to go up an experienced striker against them. Um, you know, an experienced campaigner and Ryan Shawcross, he, he doesn't mind leaving an elbow in there and a foot in there. I think you know, I, I admire uh, Shawcross for the way he plays defensively because he's in that traditional idea of what we expect from an English centre back, you know, in, in the top flight. And Costas, a player, didn't go toe to toe with him. Whereas I think maybe he isn't as um, as I'm trying to think of the you know the right way to put it, but you know, without being detrimental to his abilities. But I, I don't think he's as street wise, should we say, in terms of you know how he's going to handle a defender like Shawcross. So. um I think against Bournemouth, a team that, you know, believe in, in the fundamentals of football and playing a nice game that you can afford to have Fabregas in there because you want possession against them and you want to pick them off. Whereas against Stoke, it's about a different battle. So of the two games, you know, it, it's good that it's Stoke, but yeah, that, you know, both players are coming back. But I think that Kante, you can afford to not have him in the team against Bournemouth, whereas with Costa, you'd want him playing because he's scoring so many goals and he's he's the main source of, you know, points for Chelsea this season. He's won 16 points alone this year, which is incredible.
0: For me, I think that Costa is also the bigger loss, mainly because Modic and Fabregas have played together a lot. Uh, Fabregas has played in this system decent minutes already this season. And Mishi is just, he's going to be coming off not a lot of minutes. And kind of like you said, Gary, he, he hasn't fully adapted. I think Conte kind of alluded to this in in the post-match press conference as yeah. well. That he's he's working to adapt because there is an edge. And I tell you what, Bournemouth will be a much better game for him to adapt than going right into Stoke. I think Mishi would be uh, probably a little lost against that Stoke backline just because it'd be an experience he never had had been a part of before. All right, Chelsea fans, I hate to interrupt, but you know what? I'm out of water. We need a quick break, a quick refill. Don't worry. We'll be right back after this quick message from World Soccer Shop.
1: Hey, Chelsea fans, we're back. Uh, Quick message from World Soccer Shop right now that in addition to all the cool stuff that we have going on with gift guide and uh, with the $10 assist that you can save an extra 16% off site-wide 2016, 16%. Get it? Okay, cool. Um, uh, Using code TREAT16. Uh, So this will only be going on for a couple more days. So get in there, buy your Christmas gifts. Get them shipped to those people before uh, before the holidays are up and uh, and save yourself a bit of time and money by doing uh, doing just that at World Soccer Shop. Use a referral link to uh, help support the podcast and, and we'll be all set. Thanks a lot.
0: All right, Chelsea fans, that's it. Welcome back to, well, the talk. We got to keep going with Gary Hayes here. So let's see what we've got. You know, yes. with this, I mean do you guys think that we're going to stick with the 3-4-3 or a 3-5-2? I mean Conte's been doing a 3-6-1 later in games when Sesko's come on. Mariano Soler asked on Facebook, you know, is this the formation we're going to stick with? Just easy slot in or is he maybe going to get tricky? What do you think? He's, he's not going
2: to he's not going to change formation. He he said that yesterday as well that um you know winning winning the, the amount of games Chelsea winning as well that it'd be it'd be uh very dangerous to you know to change the formation now because it's a winning formula. You know why why go against the winning formula when the players are in tune, everyone's aware of what they're doing. Um you know Chelsea have got players who can come in when when others aren't available and slot right in there like you saw with Willian yesterday ahead of Pedro and then obviously in the Manchester City game where um Cesc came in for for uh, for matches that day when he was ill. So um I think I think you can see you know you just you just see the way that the Chelsea playing that they don't need to change it. They've got the personnel there. He's found a system that that suits all these players, so um, th- there's no need. Yeah, I
1: yeah. would I would agree with that. I mean, I think the only thing that could be slightly different about this match is I-, I think that Mishi needs a partner up top, and so I think the Hazard floating role could float a lot more closely to him just so that he has someone to, uh, to bounce the ball off of and, and kind of interchange with. So that would be my only major caveat is i think marcus alonso is going to have a lot of work to do in this game and i hope he's up for it because i don't think hazard will be covering nearly as much ground
0: it'll yeah it'll be interesting you know Bournemouth uh, they've hit a bit of a, a good streak and, and we'll talk about that in a little bit um thank you to uh nathan ake's nice little rise in output Um, But yeah, Agrippa Mayembe also has some Facebook. Can Batman deliver in Costa's absence? I, you know, I guess like I haven't obviously seen too much of him except his social media game. And if his (laughs) football game is half as good as his social media game, guys, we're going to be fine. Right, Nick?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, if he brings that kind of uh, attacking prowess that he does on Twitter (laughs) to this, I think he's going to get a goal
0: gary obviously i'm sure you've been exposed to to Michi a little bit more um what what are your thoughts as far as like kind of leading the line and, and playing within the system does he have at least the skill set
2: yeah i think he does yeah one thing that impresses me this is one thing that I, you know when we're in the press box and you're watching games you're, you're so much closer and you you've got the you know you can be so much more observant because you've got everything around you you've got the tv screens and, and everything else but sometimes you just for all the analysis you can do of a player, sometimes you can just look at them and think, yeah, he's got it. Posture. Posture gives so much away. And you look at his posture and he just looks like a striker who's just dying to get out on the pitch and throw a few shoulder barges into defenders and really impose himself. Because he's a specimen, that guy. You know, his, his calves are the size of my thighs. You know, and <laughs> he, he's just, he's, a, you know, what you'd call a unit, you know, for want of a better term. and But he's, he's also a good footballer. And I think that, you know, he's still young. He's, he's only 22, 23. And I know Chelsea did pay a big fee for him, but you, you can see that he's got something. It's just about building that confidence gradually and building that belief in, in himself that he can, he can go out there and do it. Which again, you know, just going back to Stoke or Bournemouth, which would you want him in? He's, he's probably, for his confidence, he's probably looking at the Bournemouth game, especially what you've seen today with, with Southampton beating Bournemouth 3-1 and Jay Rodriguez getting a couple of goals. He's thinking, that's a defence I can get at. Whereas with Stoke... Yeah, you know, I'm not. I'm not saying they're as watertight as they used to be under Pulis, Now Hughes is there, but with Stoke, that they still have that solidity where it may be at the back of his mind that he's got this physical battle. Whereas he's looking at, you know, um, he'll be looking at Bormer. May, maybe in the same way that a boxer, you know, that Stoker probably the Klitschko. And he's got to get a warm up match before he faces Klitschko, and you know it's it's the sort of you know match that a player of his abilities and, and his experience should be relishing because he knows he can really get at them.
0: All right, let's go ahead and talk a little bit more about Fabregas and the fact that he looks increasingly likely to stay. It's crazy, you know. Four weeks ago, he was for sure out the door heading to Italy. He gets a couple matches, starts at Man City, a couple other cameos. And all of a sudden, he's like a mainstay in this team. Obviously, Oscar's developments to China, you know, reinforces that. But Gary, how have you seen him adapt his game to this formation? Maybe even outside of tackling.
2: Well, he's working harder off the ball. I think he's um, he's a bit more disciplined with, with his positioning. And you, you see the um, the game against Sto- uh, Sunderland in midweek. He, um, I think, he was the the player who run furthest than any other Chelsea player in, in, in that midfield area. So, you know, he even outran in terms of distance, you know, Kante. And we talk about Kante's um, work rate. But I think what what's helping is that last year he disappeared and Matic disappeared. That They both fell off a cliff. And, and then what's happening is he was having to overcompensate for Matic's failings and equally... You know, matches having to do the same for Sess when Sess wasn't really you know, on top of his game and they both got exposed. Whereas now he's restored that confidence and his role's a little bit different, but having Kante alongside him and the role that he's playing gives him a little bit more freedom as well. And you saw how high up the pitch he was against Sunderland, where he's winning the ball, you know, in that, that centre third, but almost on the edge of that. And then, um, you know, he plays that one two of William and he's in that position to score the goal. And, you know, we talk about Hazard playing 20 or 30 yards further forward now. And I think that. Sesk isn't that fu- that much further forward in terms of what Hazard's doing, but he is playing on the front foot a bit more. And a player like him, whether he's receiving the ball from deep or you know getting it out of defence, you know around the halfway line, he's so dangerous because his vision is. I don't think there's another player in the Premier League that can play his role and do it as effectively as he can, and he's back to the level that he was when Chelsea won the title in in 2015. And you know, um, he, yeah, he's just the player that he's adapting to this new role he's got new stuff being asked of him and i think he's getting better for it
0: nick the vision piece there's no doubt about i know that you felt like his defensive abilities uh would limit his his role but i mean have you seen you know a real positive change in fabregas
1: yeah, I, and I think it's just largely from the, the work rate that uh, that Gary was talking about. I, th- I think you see him working a little bit harder and, um, you know, it, tremendous passing vision, all of these superlatives that you can use about him. Uh, I think maybe the thing that I'm most impressed with is it, it, I think for him, it would have been really easy to sulk, um, not easy to, to not be in the team every week. He barely got a substitute appearance during that kind of eight-game stretch where he wasn't featured it would have been really easy for a guy of his quality to you know, kind of sulk and not be a team player. Um, and, and he's done the complete opposite of that from what we've seen <clears throat> during matches. And I have to give a large amount of credit to him because you know, I, I kind of put myself in that position. And I think I would have reacted poorly uh, to being benched and barely seeing any minutes and just having to work hard with training, getting demoted to the under-23 side to go play matches. I mean, that all that's not easy, but I think... Conte's done a really good job of bringing him back into the fold putting a lot of trust in him kind of letting him be a go-to guy during matches that we need his spark and we'll kind of see how he's utilized now because there's some real interest you know I thought he was for sure gone as well like Gary said in this January window but now it kind of looks like he's he's a major player the rest of the year
0: I think that you know speaking to going and playing in in the reserve side in the u23s I think Conte did a really good job. Because he didn't just send Ces, you know, he sent Sesk, Mishi, even Terry. You know, he, I think he—the fact that he took a group of guys and said, "Hey, this isn't a punishment. Like, I want this to be valuable. I'm going to send a group of you." I think that that was just also like a good man management saying that um, Conte did. All right, last one. That I want to wrap this up with you guys. So far, is how are these one nothing wins different uh, than Jose's first go around at Chelsea? Um, Chelsea were kind of the 1-1 king for about five years where they'd win one nothing. I apologize. Um, you know, and the same thing from Facebook, Luconde Jr. Davies is saying, "Are we should we be concerned that we're only winning by goal right now rather than we're blowing out teams? And Gary, I'll lead with you, and I'm going to even lead it even further back to our conversation where you said three games in eight days, the guys are tired. They're kind of grinding out the wins.
2: Yeah, yeah the, the thing what people need to understand is that Five nil victories don't win you titles. It's the one nil victories that do. You know, and um, that that was the beauty of of Jose's first, you know, his first spell at Chelsea is that they would go ahead in games, and then it would be lockdown. You know, teams wouldn't get anywhere near them, and yeah, and teams aren't getting shots on goal. And you know, but when they are, Courtois is up to it now, and you know, he's he's playing a lot better than he has been. But you know, it's, it's one one nil victories are what win you what win you titles, and I think that. It speaks a lot for, you know, the, the uh, application of these players, that they're able to go ahead 1-0 and, and remain focused, you know, throughout the game and keep, you know, three clean sheets when, when teams are hitting them. You know, but it, it just it just says about the ability to close games out. It shows Chelsea's game management is there that, you know, obviously for entertainment value, you want to see them beating Manchester United 4-0 and Everton 5-0 every week. But in terms of, you know, being professional about the games and, you know, managing games over 90 minutes, winning 1-0 says a lot about a team. And when they can do it consistently, to me, that says what a good team they are. And that tells me what, what a good coach, whoever the coach is. And obviously, in this instance, it's, it's uh, Antonio Conte at Chelsea, that, you know, one nil victories. They are, you know, the platform for league titles and that they, they, they show you how good a football team is. And I'm just looking at the results now from when Jose first came in in, in 2004. And um, up, up to his first defeat in, in the league, which was against um, Manchester City in October, after, after uh, nine games, Chelsea won uh, four games 1-0 and beat Palace 2-0. You know, they weren't blowing teams away in, in the way that when you look at the league table come May, you know, where people, you know, when, when you look back at retrospectively, you think that they just run away with a title. Yet they did, but they did it properly. You know, they, they didn't do it where they were just being, you know, blasé about going out and just winning. You know, the, the Kevin Keegan Newcastle team with the mid nineties and late nineties should have won a title and they never did. Why? Because they weren't professional enough. They wanted to go out and just play football, play football, play football, play football. And in the end, it come back to bite them. That they, you know, up in Newcastle, they call that team the Entertainers. But the Entertainers don't have any trophies to show for it. Whereas Chelsea, you know, under Mourinho the first time and under Conte now, you can see that. You know they're players that are drilled. They're you know they they know how to manage games. They know how to close games out. And when teams are doing that, it makes it very difficult. And that's why it's no fluke that Chelsea won eleven games in a row.
1: Yeah, I would add to that really quickly that um, the thing for me is, you know, the the four nil, the five nil victory over uh, United and Everton, uh, those were fantastic. And and honestly, those just kind of give you the the extra juice. You know, as a fan to to do your thing, but. I would say it's imp- it's more impressive to me to be able to l- completely lock teams down defensively uh, and adapt to the change in in different tactics from opposing teams. I mean, Sunderland put seven defenders on the field against us, so it's you know you're obviously going to have a much harder time breaking through against seven defenders than you would kind of a typical setup. And uh, I think we're we're the thing that we're going to see kind of the rest of the year is how Antonio Conte adapts you know, this three, four, three or whatever formation he uses to kind of break teams down that have that much more defensive uh, mentality. And uh, I think that's the impressive thing is that other teams are start, starting to adapt their game to what Chelsea's doing, not the other way around.
0: Sure. You know, and just kind of to, to, you know, wrap that up and tie it all together. Um, I think that it Yes, uh, the fatigue played a factor, and I don't. And I think that everyone would agree that Chelsea weren't up to their best. Um, but I don't think we should be concerned. Uh, momentum is way too much on our side right now. And um, you know, speaking of that momentum piece, guys, uh, you know, Gary, we like to do a true or false question uh, in our script and just kind of you know get a gauge what everyone's thinking. Uh, so this week we've got Conte, true or false. Conte and his squad will break Chelsea's record for consecutive wins next week, even with suspensions. Uh, and then a follow up question we actually got from social media um, asking which coming game breaks the streak, if any, from Justin Clinton on Facebook. So will first just go with the true or false. Uh, Nick, will Chelsea break the streak, or I'm sorry, break the streak of 11 and win 12 in a row?
1: uh yes i believe they will uh it could be another you know kind of gutty one nil two one performance but i think they will gary even with the
0: suspensions true or false true without a doubt yeah what about uh the follow-up question from justin on facebook saying which of the the upcoming games do you guys think will break the streak uh no i didn't have the whole season here uh, but you're looking at Bournemouth, Stoke, Spurs, Leicester, Spurs. Hull, Liverpool, Arsenal right away. Just going yes. January 4th, third match from, t- you know, this, this week. Why Spurs? It's,
2: is it's, it's away? Got, yeah, but it's it's got to come to an end at some point as, as good as it, as it is. But Spurs are a savvy team. Pochettino is a savvy manager. I really like the way Spurs play football. I know it's not popular to say on a Chelsea podcast, but I, I really do. And I, I think Pochettino is a, a very good manager as well. And, um, I think that, yeah, you know, they've got a lot to to get. They want to get one over on Chelsea as well, and you know, after yeah, you know, it's all sort like set up for the, the you know, for, for, it's on TV as well, so it's all set up perfectly mm-hmm. for a TV match in that, um, you know, you've got the the backstory of what Chelsea did at Stamford Bridge against Spurs last season, denying them the title, and I know it's not anywhere near as significant, but Chelsea turning up trying to equal Arsenal's record of fourteen in a row that they set in two thousand and two. And then spurs are the ones that stand in the way of stopping them doing it and obviously so it's almost a, a double-edged sword in some ways because if chelsea win they equal the record and spurs have that you know um you know chelsea have the, the bragging rights over spurs but also if they get to you know that they get to to stop chelsea in their tracks and it allows arsenal obviously their their biggest rivals to you know to maintain their, their record in, in the premier league era but um I just think that that game will maybe be a step too far. It's coming on the, you know, it's a midweek game coming on the back of a, a busy Christmas schedule. And um, I think it'll probably be a draw.
1: Uh, I would go. So I'm looking at at Spurs as kind of a, a match that our boys will be up for. Um, you know, they've been up for every one so far. So that's not incredibly fair to say. But I always look in, in American football terms as a trap game. Right, so like the game before the big game is usually the the tougher one. Uh, so the, I'm looking at that Stoke game on New Year's Eve uh, as a really tough game, and I'm not saying that you know we'll lose at home, but uh, I think that is probably you know as as great as first play football, and I think they've given us the biggest challenge uh, thus far in this kind of winning streak. Uh, I think the Stoke game, there there may be a little bit of look ahead uh, in that. And, you know, that's not a great thing if you're Antonio Conte because, you know, it's really easy to get up for Spurs. You know, it's not as easy to get, get up for Stoke at home with especially some of the physicality that they put in. So I think that would be the one I'm kind of uh, kind of marking on our calendar as, as the tougher of the two.
0: Yeah, and again, we're not saying Chelsea are going to lose. We're not predicting. We're just saying, hey, what are going to be the bogey games that could end the streak, you know? Uh, I agree. I mean, I, I think, Gary, the Spurs midweek is tough. Nick, you have a good point as well. Um, you know, if you if we do get through those, you know, those two matches, all of a sudden you're at Leicester away, uh, which are starting to play better, uh, than Hull at home, and then Liverpool uh, away, and then Arsenal at home. So, I mean... This definitely isn't gonna be an extended streak. I don't think by any means but the fact that we've gotten to 11 Looking really good to get 12 uh, What an exciting time uh, of the season can you know considering how the first six games went. Um All right guys, we're already to the man of the match section. It only took us 48 minutes to get here. This is amazing <laughs> um, Nick Yeah, did you get any heat this week?
1: Yeah, I got a little heat for not putting Louise in, but uh, you know, whatever. That's that's (laughs) last
0: week. Last week you put Louise in, and your magazine they wanted Dave. Now you put Dave in and
2: not Louise, and you just can't win.
1: I can't win, Gary, with these four options. I'm always leaving somebody out of the man. You need to
2: have a word with Twitter and get them to give you eleven options.
1: See, there we go. Um, I think that's probably probably going to happen just by my influence. Um, So, anyway, I think the. Uh, There was a a two-way battle for Man of the Match, 228 votes. Uh, Dave pulling ahead with 44% over Diego. I think that is well-deserved. I think Dave played an incredible game, got the assist. Diego got the goal. Um, But, you know, I I don't think there's any problem with Dave getting Man of the Match. Do you, Gary?
2: Um, Not really, but I think you look at what Costa's doing at the moment and, he's won Chelsea three points there. I know it's a you know an exceptional cross from from Asper but you know as much as that was a good cross there's still so much for Costa to do and uh, to get him to get himself between two defenders and the you know the keeper's rushing out as well. So he's not taking his eye off the ball, he's been brave and you know he's got his rewards for it but I think it's it's one of those you know one of those games yes sir the team performs so well as a unit and you know collectively that there wasn't really a, a, a standout player because the defense did their job they kept the clean sheet and there were you know there weren't many scares and you know cahill louise and aspera have got a really good understanding now and yeah so you, you can't go against it but I would, have, I would have gone for costa for the fact that he scored the goal that, that won the game
0: yeah you know a Ford they always get the you know the fancy trophy at the end because they score the goal it's what <laughs> uh, so wins matches you know i do have a problem though nick with your polling uh, Diego is on all caps. I feel like you were trying to send some you know <laughs> some some underlying messages, some hints to the poll people.
1: Yeah, it wasn't as fair cuz I did, I didn't use sentence case with Diego. You're right. I will adjust that next time, Brandon.
0: Okay. I just you know, we have a we have a pretty tight professional operation here I just think <laughs> that's we we keep our standards high. No, I'm just joking, but, uh, any other thoughts of this match? Maybe anything that we missed or, uh, you know, something that uh, I just wanted to point out, Nick.
1: Uh, yeah, Gary, I guess, uh, I just want to get your thoughts on this. I thought that Victor Moses looked a little shaky yesterday and, and probably has been for the last couple of matches, a guy that I really like to see play and and play well. Do you think that he's feeling a little bit of the fatigue having not played full seasons in the last few? Uh,
2: maybe there's a case for that, but, um, you know, you, you see that uh, Conte's bought him off in the last couple of games as well, so that that could be, you know, a concern because you know there, there is a big thing made now of, of players being in what they call the red zone. You know, they they mm-hmm. track their their fitness so much that they know when they're they may be over exerting themselves a bit too much. So th- th- there's there's maybe a case for that, but at the same time, I, I thought going forward he had a good game, but you know we we saw against City when he was you know found out defensively, and he's not a defender and. I think that's you know part of his game that he needs to work on. But I think overall it's a good performance. And yeah, you know, remember he's coming up against an out and out winger um in, in terms of Zaha getting at him and um and Jason punching as well. So I think it's to be expected that he's not going to be perfect, but I wouldn't be too concerned. Awesome. You know, personally I thought Alonso struggled a little bit
0: today. Uh and then we saw his free kick. I didn't know he had that in his locker. I mean, he absolutely that ball moved. So much. If you guys have gotten a chance to see the replays of the angle from behind Alonzo, and you see that ball go up and then just swerve to the right, that was—I was really impressed by that.
2: Yeah, it came out of nowhere, didn't it? You know, it's um, almost like Alonzo himself that everyone thought it was being signed as a backup, and he's—you know—he's wormed his way into the first team, and he's been—he's been excellent for the eleven games. There's been a couple of moments when he's been—he's been found out defensively in the same way that Moses has, but he's hardly put a foot wrong, and. It'd have be been the ice oh, yeah. on the cake for him to, to get his second goal for the club.
0: Well, and then everyone was comparing to Felipe Luis's, you know, FA Cup free kick. Uh, and it's like, it's nice having a left footed player be able to, to snipe those. Um, but, you know, I also, as I was continuing to look at this match and stuff, I did see Naz's tweet about Alonso's average position in this match, guys. He was literally a left forward, almost in line with Eden Hazard, uh, essentially in uh crystal palace's final third um that guy put in a a big work ethic of just staying involved and like not letting crystal palace out of their half as much as he could so it's an interesting heat map seeing that our right side everyone kind of stuck back to the normal positions and our left side we went at their right side of their defense and um i don't know it's just something you don't see every week i guess
2: it's interesting because martin kelly's the lesser of the two fullbacks they've got with um joel ward playing out of position at left backs he's a good player so and obviously with hazard on that wing it makes sense that chelsea are attacking it as well because William isn't as much of an attacking threat as what hazard is so um with pedro playing it might have been a bit different but yeah it it just shows how impressive these players have been when they've come in when much wasn't expected of them and they're you know exceeding all expectations even now when they're winning 11 games in a row we're we're still thinking at the back of you know at the back of our minds that they they're not going to carry it on, but they are, and I think Alonso you know one of the players that embodies that.
0: Well, at the time of recording, uh, Arsenal, Man City have not played or not finished, so Chelsea are in first with a nice a bit of a lead. Uh, but I don't want to talk specifics because all that uh, will most likely change here as Sunday progresses. Uh, but Chelsea, then Liverpool, Arsenal, Man City, Tottenham United in sixth. Um, you know, things are going pretty well. I, it's this Arsenal man city match is going to be a big one. Uh, you know, as they duke out for who can get fourth place. But I don't know, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, things are going pretty well.
1: Yeah. Well, when you win 11 on the trot, um, your your points total goes up significantly. So, uh, pretty excited about uh, the table. And uh, looking ahead, we have some winnable matches coming up. Uh, hopefully, you have a chance to extend that lead, uh, you know, a point or two each week.
0: So the only other team in the top six undefeated besides Chelsea are United, and they've got two draws. All right, let's go ahead and take our first break, uh, chat with World Soccer Shop, and we will be right back. Hey, Nick, guess what? I still have a ton of left.
1: I don't know, Brandon. What?
0: I've got about 25 more World Soccer Shop $10 gift cards that we want to assist you listeners by hooking you up with. Nick, how do they get their hands on these?
1: All you have to do is go to World Soccer Shop using our referral link, uh, find something that you want to buy, tweet at us and tweet at World Soccer Shop in the same tweet with the link and uh, who knows, you might find a $10 assist in uh, in your DMs. Exactly. Just let us know what you want, because we want to see what you guys are getting for Christmas, and
0: uh, we'd be happy to hook you up. So again, tweet at us. Tweet at World Soccer Shop. Throw the link. See what you got. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back. Uh, We are going to run right into the match preview while we've got Gary on. Uh, Bournemouth is coming up in the Premier League back at Stamford Bridge. You know We're on a little bit of a a travel run there for a bit. It's going to be this coming Monday. December twenty-sixth. So after you guys get all of your Christmas presents, there's one more coming on Monday. Don't forget. So Nick, um, Chelsea's match with Bournemouth will unfortunately stop a good run of form for Nathan Ake. He scored again today. Obviously, not the result Bournemouth wanted against Southampton. But, you know, due to the loan agreement, uh, he's he's gonna be out.
1: Yeah, it's unfortunate for him, but um, probably good for for Chelsea, he's been in an uh, incredible run, run of form, and I think he has three or four goals now for them, um, playing in kind of a, a defensive wing-back position. So um, pretty excited for his development. I think he's one that, uh, Gary, that Chelsea fans are looking at in the lone army as a potential to, to really come back and make an impact.
2: Yeah, it's, it's a strange one, Vake, because um, I thought it would have made an impact at the, at the club a lot quicker than he has because – in the in the days of um, when Rafa Benitez was the coach at the back end of um, 2012-13, he, he was you know playing a lot of games where he, he was featured in the Europa League and and you know a few league matches. And Rafa seemed to put a bit of faith in him, and then Jose came in and it sort of put the brakes on his career. But it's good to see him you know doing well with with Bournemouth now, and he, he's shown himself to be a um, a Premier League standard defender. You know, especially on the back of his his loan uh, spell with Watford last year, where he was named there. Uh, their young player of the year so he's you know he started off at bournemouth where he wasn't getting matches but he's um he's shown his quality and and now he's, he's playing matches and not just playing he's he, you know he's grabbing headlines as well which which is only a good thing yeah
0: absolutely uh head-to-head chelsea uh, and bournemouth really haven't played that much uh both have one win coming off last season Bournemouth returning to the premier league eddie Howe, you know being the rock star young coach uh that he is has, has made it a little difficult um, You know 4-1 Chelsea at Vitality Stadium uh, But before that actually Chelsea slipped up one nothing at home and, and let that one go Nick But you know as you look at it, Bournemouth's been up down up down literally in the form guide Chelsea have continued to cruise uh, The 4-3 <coughs> win over
1: Liverpool was
0: probably one of their highlights of the season so far
1: Yeah, I mean they do they do have some attacking prowess so I would uh, credit Eddie Howe with playing a, a pretty good style of football uh, for the most part. They, they're, they're really they're kind of a, a yo-yo team. They, you know, they have games where they'll attack really well, and then they have games where, you know, they just run into a, a brick wall of a defense and have little to offer. So, uh, I'm hoping that uh, you know, coming off of uh, you know a loss, that we can put a, another brick wall in front of them and, and come out with a a solid victory.
0: So they've only had five clean sheets so far gary any you know obviously with the changes anything specific you're maybe thinking ahead of of what chelsea uh, might be able to kind of maximize or take advantage
2: of from the the
0: cherries lineup
2: well it's it's about the defense they're not they're not the best team defensively but because they put an emphasis on on the way they play football further up the pitch and the way chelsea are playing that's difficult for teams and Bournemouth aren't a team that can come and play with a back six like what West Brom did. So um, I think they they can only really play one way, um, which isn't a criticism of them. I think it's, you know, what Eddie Howe's doing with a club of that size as well is incredible. Um, But they can only really play one way. And um, when teams play like that against Chelsea, invariably Chelsea win matches. Um, You know, Arsenal are a case in point in that when when Chelsea are on their game and and um, they're playing a certain way. Arsenal always struggle, and it's almost like Bournemouth for you know maybe a um, a lesser version of that Arsenal team and, and the way that they try to play football. But you know it's a, it's a game that Chelsea should be feeling very confident about.
0: Yeah, it's as we all alluded to earlier, we expect Chelsea to go out and get the victory. Like I said, playing at home in such good form. Obviously, not having Conte and Costa. Uh, will create some some differences, but it's it's a good situation to be in. Uh, I think we'll go um, Anything specific you got you've noticed I guess Gary like from covering Bournemouth You know, I guess Chelsea and Bournemouth in the past and, and just kind of the general vibes in the Premier League. I feel like most people tend to like what Bournemouth are doing, you know With Eddie Howe being a young English coach and just kind of the way they play
2: um, You know for the most part people seem to like them
0: as, as a team. Am, am I right when I, I get that feeling
2: Yeah, because also, as well, they're they're an inoffensive club where, you know, 10 years ago they were going into administration and they might not have even existed. So now they're in the Premier League and they've done it the right way by trying to play football. So, you know, it feeds into what, you know, football fans like that, you know, you've got your, you you pin your colours to the mask, as it were, by saying, I'm a Chelsea fan or I'm a United fan or I'm Stoke or whatever. But then you're a football fan as well and you like to see the good stories and you like to see good teams trying to achieve something. And, that's, that's what Bournemouth are doing. They're, they're a club whose stadium is, you know, about it's got a capacity of about 12,000. And it was interesting because when Chelsea played them in April and they beat them 4 uh, 1, that was on the Saturday. And then on the Wednesdays, the FA Youth Cup final, when Chelsea were playing City in the second leg at Stamford Bridge. And the attendance at the FA Youth Cup final was like 400 less. And Bournemouth had a, a sellout of their stadium, and Stamford Bridge was only a quarter full. So it just shows you the difference in size of clubs that Chelsea can get a youth team game. To get that many fans to it and Bournemouth sell out their stadium and that's their capacity, you know, and it's only just less than what Chelsea are getting. So it's a good story that a small club is up there in the Premier League and not just scrapping it out. They're trying to play football and they're doing it their way and, you know, they're getting success for it and it's, it's a nice story to see.
0: Awesome. Well, I think that will do it for this week. Everyone, thank you so much uh, for listening. You guys have been fantastic. They haven't interrupted at all, Nick.
1: Yeah, absolutely not. Uh, this has been absolutely fantastic. Wanted to thank Gary uh, for for coming on the show and and you know really providing a unique perspective. Uh, Gary, where can we uh, where, where can we find you online, and where can our listeners uh, kind of educate themselves with your work?
2: Uh, just just mainly follow me on Twitter. I'm always tweeting some sort of nonsense, but um, <laughs> I've also just uh, up my Instagram game recently. So um, I'm on Instagram now as well. If people want to follow any. Any pics of me around Stanford Bridge and uh, at the other games when I'm, you know, f- uh, following Chelsea around? Then I'm there. at uh, Gary Hayes one, uh, Gary two. rs Hayes one. Um, so yeah, just across social media when I'll be, t- if I'm not tweeting about Chelsea, I'm tweeting about Bob Dylan and Bruce Springsteen. So um, if you're not learned about Chelsea, you might educate yourself musically.
1: <laughs> there you go. I, I see your nice, uh, your nice uh, Vogue picture of the the ground with the fog yesterday, huh? Uh, you're, you're a photographer as well.
2: Oh, there we go. You see, I've I've got the artistic (laughs) (laughs) eye.
1: I would just like to, uh, again, thank Gary for coming on. And I think the last thing I would plug is just go check out our gift guide. Uh, We're excited to to have an official collaboration uh, and to work on that with World Soccer Shop. So go check it out.
0: So until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high. All right, Chelsea fans, that is a wrap for this week. Don't panic, though, as we'll be back after Chelsea's next match. So to be sure you don't miss it, subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at LondonBluePod. Until next time, Chelsea fans, keep the blue flag flying high.